we wish to welcome our guest once again to the worship service of the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm Calvin Rock, the senior pastor of the church, and on behalf of our pastoral staff and our officers, wish again to say thank you for listening. Some of you have been regular and we're glad you're here again. Others may be listening for the first time and welcome to what I hope will be the beginning of a long-term experience as you tune into this program every Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. Today is Education Day at our church. We've already enjoyed a number of special features. Our speaker, however, is a very special personage. He is Elder Larry Unterseer, the Education Superintendent for the Nevada-Utah Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Elder Unterseer was born on the West Coast in Harrisburg, Oregon. He graduated from Walla Walla College with a BA in theology and later received a Master of Divinity degree from Andrews University. His pastoral experience includes his being an associate pastor, a senior pastor, a campus chaplain, and a youth pastor. He has enjoyed education ministry as well. He was a teacher and a principal teacher and a principal. The latter responsibilities at Dakota Academy and Upper Columbia Academy, also on the West Coast. His conference ministry service in the conference office has included that of being youth director, religious liberty leader, and education superintendent and in fact, along with that, ministerial secretary or director, and he holds that post now and comes to us from Reno, Nevada, where the conference headquarters is located, to be with us and to highlight our Education Day experience. His wife's name is Rhonda. She, too, is a teacher, and he has two children, Kim and Mike. Kim is a teacher at Loma Linda Elementary School, so it goes in the family. And Mike, his son, is a recruiter at Kettering Medical College, or College of Medical Evangelists in Ohio. So our speaker is an administrator, preacher, educator. We're thrilled that he could be with us to open the word and to proclaim for God today, we're going to have a scripture by Sister Tony Ellis, one of our educators already recognized, and then a sacred selection by the Rio Lindo Academy Orchestra or Choir, if they are here as of now, and they are, I understand, and then the spoken word from Pastor Larry Unterseer. We thank God for this special day and for this, his special emissary, and we ask for him, your prayers, as he brings us the word of God following scripture and song. Good morning, Abundant Life, and happy Sabbath. Again, I'm Tony Ellis, and I'm going to ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. 
This is a small excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus. Again, that's Matthew 7, verses 24 and 25. I will read the scriptures as you listen. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Amen. May the Lord add a rich blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of these words. Amen. And now again for our radio audience. We will have special music by the Rio Lindo Academy Choir. Good morning and happy Sabbath. I'm so glad I made it here in time. I was over at another church with our handbells, but we got here in time to sing with you. And I want to introduce myself. My name is Lisa Reichert, and I'm the head of the music department, and I direct the handbells and the choirs that we have at our school. And Mrs. Margie Rice, sorry, Margie. <laughs> this is Margie Rice conducts our orchestra, and we are so glad to be bringing our music and praising Jesus with you this morning.
Wow. Where's that young man? You nailed it tonight, today. Thank you. Man. Whew. Oh, it almost makes me want to go back and be a principal of an academy again. Almost. Maybe by the time they get done singing at the end of this talk. Wow. Thank you. It's a great honor to worship with you today. Dr. Rock, part of this dream team here at this church. A leader I've admired for many years. A true icon of Adventism. A servant leader and a humble friend of God. Thank you. Pastor O'Bannon, great speaker, <laughs> has that infectious laugh. Oh, I love to hear that. That booming voice. It doesn't matter if he's teaching Sabbath school class. You hear it everywhere. Mm-mm. Pastor Lewars, young, energetic, willing to do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus. Man, what a dream team. What a dream team. And this great congregation that makes up this church. You've been built on the solid rock. The rock of our salvation. Jesus Christ, the rock. Today, having these young people from Rio Linda Academy who are on a spiritual journey and that journey of faith is reflected in their music and will be reflected again at the close of this service. 3,000, 60,000. I'm going to tell you a little story before I begin. Actually, you know, 3,000. That's approximately the number of, of members of the Adventist church in the Las Vegas area. Approximately. 60,000. Listen to me now. 60,000. The people in the Las Vegas area who write down on a form that they are Seventh-day Adventist. Do you hear me? 60,000 People in 2006, so I've been told, wrote down on a piece of paper that they are Seventh-day Adventist. They're not here today. Two weeks ago, I interviewed a beautiful, young, fine Christian woman for an opening teaching position we have in this conference. Her resume was impeccable. She was raised in Adventist. She went through school. She was a gifted student. She received outstanding references. She interviewed well, and we offered her the position. This week, I received a call from her. Now, she wasn't from this area. 
And after several questions, she asked, I have my state credentials, but does it matter that I have my SDA credentials? I didn't quite know what to say because, yes, we hold our teachers to a higher standard. Well, in my silence, she continued, I've taken all the classes, but I can't prove that I'm a church member. You mean you haven't been baptized? That's right. You see, back then, I didn't have a good self-image. And when I made a, bab uh, a decision for baptism in the seventh grade, no one followed up on it. In fact, apparently, everybody just assumes that I was baptized for no one. No one ever asked me if I wanted to follow Jesus' example in biblical baptism. Have mercy. My self-worth was too low to step forward. Brothers and sisters, no one ever asked. Now that's not going to happen to those of you in this audience today because I'm going to ask. <laughs> it's not going to happen today, not here, not now. Because there must be someone in this audience today that is part of that 60,000. You came to visit or you're a member of this church or we think you are. And the Spirit is working on you right now. And you know that you want to follow Jesus' example of baptism. Maybe you've waited and you've never been asked. And at the close of this talk, I'm going to ask that you make that decision. It's going to be very simple. It's going to be very short. It's going to be very quick. It's not going to be drawn out. It's going to be one little sentence. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And then at the end, if you raise your hand, I want you to meet with Dr. Rock. You have a baptismal class or something. It's okay to have another one join, you think? Yeah? Everybody, that's right. And so, today I have titled my sermon, When the Wind Blows. Do I have a, a young lady that's going to help me? Or is she, where is she at? Where is Hadassah? Where is she? Oh, there she is. I'm coming, she said. <laughs> Hadassah, can I hold you? Thank you. Would you give me a hug? Would you give me a hug? Huh? Yes, I know. She's up here to make sure I don't get nervous. Yeah. <laughs> this is Hadassah. Hey, thank you. I, I love kids. I love kids of all ages, especially, uh, especially babies. They're so warm and cuddly, so innocent and trusting. Aren't you? Yeah? You're not quite sure what to say. That's right. There's a lot of people out there, aren't there? Can we just ask Jesus to be with us? All right. Father God, as we begin this this morning, I just pray that this unclean vessel 
can bring your words. Not that the people will hear me, but will hear your voice. Help us all to become like this innocent child. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, I got a call from my daughter. From my daughter. Daddy started. You know, they're always your little girl, no matter how old they are, aren't they? Daddy, you're going to be a grandpa. <laughs> so I'm practicing. <laughs> yeah. Now on the phone, I think I was calm and said something like, that's fantastic, sweetie. Uh, I'm happy for you and for Alex. But on the inside, oh, oh boy, I was tearing it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was ecstatic. I was not just happy for them. I was happy for me. <laughs> oh, man. You see, I get to change my name. And now I'm going to be known as Grandpa Underseer. Yeah. I like that. Then a wave of nostalgia came over me about my own daughter. Yeah, you're doing so good up here. Man, I love this. And I remember my own daughter, Kim, as a newborn, holding her close, rocking her, singing to her, songs from Sabbath school, and sometimes singing or saying the little verse, rockabye baby on the treetops, when the wind blows, the cradle will rock. Do you remember that? Yeah, say it with me, the rest of it. When the bough breaks, the cradle will fall, down will come baby, cradle and all. Oh, it seemed so soothing then. It seemed so morbid now. <laughs> would I really tell my child, would I really tell Hadassah that if trouble came, that she would crash to the ground from the top of a tree? Really? And I wouldn't be there to catch her? My. You can go back to your chair now, okay? Oh. <laughs> what a sweetie. You're such a good girl. Let's give her a hand. Yeah. Thank you. And it was a good thing ner nervous mama stayed close by. <laughs> Wow, thank you. What a sweetheart. Sure, I know that that uh, little nursery rhyme is about Native American mothers that would hang a birch bark cradle in a tree and let the gentle wind uh, rock their baby to sleep. But still, still, oh, babies falling out of the top of trees. But the words of that little rhyme still ring true. For the winds of strife will come into every baby's life. 
Jesus tells an amazing story, the story that you just heard in Scripture. And turn back there, if you will. I'm going to read a little bit different version as we go along. So follow with me, Matthew 7, verse 24. And in this version, it reads like this. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. I've been a little worried where I live in the subdivision. You've heard about the earthquakes up in Reno. Um, the, the epicenter is right in my subdivision, about, about a thousand yards from my house. A week ago Friday, uh, we had an earthquake that uh, shook everything. Fortunately, I was at the Paradise Church here in Las Vegas. And we've had over 400 earthquakes there since. And the wind blew. And it says again, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Now our house got a big crack down the middle of the wall, uh, but apparently this house didn't. Now that's what I want for my grandbaby. To be grounded on the rock. And you say to me, Pastor Underseer, when should this grounding begin? Well, let me go through a little research with you. You've heard this. Uh, the pastors have shared this with you. It's been up on screens, and you know this, but I'll go over it with you one more time. Research shows us that in the United States, 85% of faith decisions for Christ as Savior are made between the ages of 4 and 14. You heard it, 85% between 4 and 14. Only 10% between the ages of 15 and 30, and only 4% after age 30. Mm -mm -mm. Therefore, you do the math, chances are that if people do not accept Jesus before their teens, they're not likely to do so later. Did you hear that? You know why these kids are so important? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Longitudinal studies help us to know that spiritual condition of adolescents and teenagers changes very little as they age. Did you hear me? Doesn't change. Got to teach them now. Ground them in the rock. Furthermore, by age nine, most children have their spiritual moorings in place. A child's moral development is determined and set by age nine. Ooh. Lifelong habits, values, beliefs, and attitudes are formed between the ages of five and 12 years. Moral and spiritual development start as early as Age two, Ellen White says, the lessons that the child learns during the first seven years of life 
have more to do with forming his character than all that it learns in future years. Yeah. God calls you and I into that melu. When should the grounding begin? Immediately in every child's life, no matter how old they are. But pastor, where should your grandchild learn these things? Oh, you know what I'm going to say. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Turn there with me if you will. Proverbs 1, verse 8 and 9. That the first place to look is in our families, our homes. That verse reads like this. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. <laughs> wow, I had a hard time with that when I was a kid. Proverbs 6.23 says, For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the correction of discipline are the way to life. Deuteronomy 4.9. Deuteronomy 4.9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren is what it's saying. Wow. Now Solomon, we understand, was a wise man. And he taught his sons a lot about spiritual things. But I wondered if he had any words of wisdom that would be good for my grandchild. And it was amazing. He taught his boys. Unfortunately, it was only the boys back then that got an education. Praise the Lord, we got over that. He taught his boys some things that we really all want. Things like how to have a long life. Is that something you want? Yeah. How to be popular. Good. How to be a success. How to have good health. How to be rich. <laughs> really? Yeah. Turn to Proverbs 3, if you will. I love this. I love this passage. <laughs> Proverbs 3. Um, it's good for teenagers. Do you want to live a long, full life? A good life? Okay. Okay, I get it, son. Never forget to be truthful and kind. Hold these virtues tightly. Write them deep within your heart. That's what he said would, would give you a long, good life. 
So you want to be popular. You want to have a good reputation while you're being popular. Okay. What does it say? Then trust the Lord completely. Trust in the Lord. Never trust in yourself. Reading on. Do you want to know what to do with your life? A lot of high school seniors, they don't know what they're going to do. A lot of college students, they don't know what they want to do. That's why so many college students uh, change majors two or three times. They don't know. But here it says, do you want to know? I'll tell you. You want to be successful at what you do? It says, in everything you do, put God first. And He will direct you and crown your efforts with success. All right. We have a lot of sickness in the church. We have a lot of friends and neighbors who are ill. The Bible tells us, it says, do you want to be healthy and energetic? Solomon said, <laughs> now this is really strange. You want to be healthy? Here's what he said. Then don't be conceited and think you know it all. What? <laughs> yeah, that's what it says. Don't be conceited and think you know it all. Instead, trust and reverence the Lord. Run to God. Run away from evil. And then the biggie. Oh, I, I've heard a lot of kids say this. Yeah, man, I don't want to be poor like my parents. I want to be rich, man. Okay, you want to be rich? Here it is. The secret. Here it is. If I could write a book, if I could be a, on late night television about 2 in the morning, have a little thing, all I'll have to say is the secret to being rich is to honor God with everything you own. Give to Him the first and best of your income. Tithe. If you do that, the Bible says right here, if you do that, you're going to have more than enough stuff. It actually says your barns will be full and your wine vats will be overflowing. But most of you don't have granaries. So to my daughter and son-in-law, I say, teach my grandchild these things. But always remember that the most important factor, and I don't care what kind of teacher you are, the most important factor in successful education is a student knowing that they are loved and accepted. Give my grandchild a positive, stable family environment. Give them lots of love. And how might that manifest itself in my daughter's home? I don't know. But maybe it would be by them being proactive. Create a family that takes responsibility for its destiny so that you don't pass bad situations to the next generation. Huh? Maybe by putting first things first. If you say your family is first, have at least one night a week when you behave like a family. Yeah? Maybe by seeking first to understand and solve problems through communication, not through fighting or flighting. Ouch. Maybe by treating my grandchildren consistently, for this makes them secure. Maybe by conducting yourselves in a manner as to set an example worthy of imitation by your children. 
Maybe by worshiping together regularly. Maybe by expressing love and affection openly. Maybe by sacrificing so your children can have a quality Adventist education. To my son and daughter, I must apologize. And they're not here to hear this, and they're likely not going to hear it on the 4 o'clock broadcast. But I must apologize because I admit I did not model this well. And I'm sorry for it. I must admit that their ability to stand strong on the rock when the winds blow may be in spite of me rather than because of me. And I'm sorry for that. I don't have a chance to do it over again. But I know what I want for my grandbabies. The second place is church. Turn with me to Luke 4, verse 16. Oh, listen to me now. Luke, verse 4. I mean, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 16. You know the text. It goes like this. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. What's the next word? As was his custom. That's right. And he stood up to read. An excerpt from an article in Ministry Magazine written by Dr. Patricia Habata. Uh, who is the assistant director of Sabbath School at the General Conference, it goes like this. I'll read this to you. Uh, the, the little subtitle was, What Shall We Do? It says, Begin at the Beginners. Now we're talking about church now. Begin at the Beginners, uh, with the Beginners. Take a long, hard look at your beginner Sabbath School. Is it active or passive? Are children really involved? Is learning taking place? Is the major emphasis on God's love for children and Jesus as their Savior? Does the entire program teach concepts of grace, worship, community, and service? I'm reading now. The best teachers, hear me, the best teachers should be working with these children. And they should exhibit pleasure in doing so. Leaders and teachers of tiny tots should clearly love and enjoy children. <laughs> Have mercy. Hey, that's what I want for my grandchild. The best and the brightest of all the members to teach them about the love of Jesus. The most gifted to introduce them to God and God's word, to explain sin and the results of sin, to tell them about Jesus and God's plan of salvation, to invite them to accept Jesus and to be forgiven, to help them be obedient to God's word. That's what I want for my grandbabies. I want a church that has an active vacation Bible school. Thank you for saying that you have one. And an active, meaningful outreach program. I want a church for my grandbabies that has an outstanding, have outstanding leaders and have an active, active adventure and Pathfinder club. Thank you for having that. For we know that it's during those times that values are transferred. I want a church that is involved in mission service outside the United States to help my grandchild understand the world church. I want a church for them that actively promotes and funds Adventist education for I want my grandchild to have every advantage I did not have. 
The church must help give my daughter and son-in-law the tools to help their child stand strong when the wind blows. Third place is school. In her book, True Education, Ellen White says that teachers do a high and noble work. Listen to me now. They do a high and noble work by cooperating with the divine purpose in imparting to young people a knowledge of God and in molding the character in harmony with His. Wow. My teachers growing up could not do this. They could not. They couldn't really help me stand when the wind blew. I was raised in a cons as a conservative Adventist in a small town in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. But when it came time for school, my sister and I, we went to the local public school. We knew all the kids. We knew all the parents. Yes, we had a local Adventist school, but we were very, very poor. My dad worked in a sawmill. My mom took in other people's ironing just to get by. And after the tithes and offerings, there was just no money to spare. And they refused to take handouts. They were both children of the Depression. And if any of you were ever children of the Depression, you know what I'm going to say. We reused that aluminum tin foil over and over till there were holes in it. And we still used it. We straightened nails. We canned our food from the garden. We made our clothes. Some of, uh, uh, I hated that shirt my mom made out of the, the, the cloth from the bags from the feed mill. Unbelievable. Hated that shirt. There just was no money for education. And you know, I kind of felt sorry for myself. At least until I met Brent. It's been a few years and I still get just a little emotional. He was 16, the only son of a single mother, living on a meager salary of a waitress in a rundown, greasy diner. They didn't have a car and they certainly had no money. His only real possession was an old beat up bicycle to get him back and forth the three miles to another diner where he worked after school. All of the money that he made went for food for the family. He literally had one pair of worn jeans, two t-shirts, and one well-used dress shirt and pants, and a worn-out leather shoes that had long ago been cast aside by someone else. Those shoes literally had cardboard and plastic bags in them to keep his feet dry. One day, one day, this is for me, thank you. He heard of a place where students could go to school and learn about Jesus as well as the other subject he was learning in public school. He knew he wanted to go, so he saved his money. Ah, he saved his money for his bus fare by 
sorry, by eating only scraps off other people's plates. He knew that he needed shoes, so he sold his only means of transportation, sorry, his bike, for the best pair of new shoes $20 could buy. That's how he showed up at the academy where I was principal. Unannounced, penniless, not being recruited. <laughs> Three shirts, two pair of pants, no coat, but wearing a new pair of shoes. <laughs> He pled to be accepted. He had no financial plan at all, except that he promised to work hard. Whew. What could we do? Could we turn him away? It was at that moment that I knew that I could have gone to an academy if I had really wanted to. I could have had an opportunity like Brent to be in a place where I could be touched by Jesus. Do you think we let him in? Huh? Anybody? Do you think we let him in? Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Now I also sort of think my parents thought we wouldn't get quite as good of an education in one teacher school is in a larger school. They wanted their children to get a quality education so they wouldn't have to live the way they did. Sure, I got a good education. And I have some fond memories of playing varsity football and baseball and, and whatever. But where were the teachers to help my parents, and my parents worked hard, to help my parents mold my character in harmony with his? Where were the teachers that didn't think it odd that others and I were Christians? You know, I felt embarrassed to say that I was a Christian, let alone an Adventist Christian. Mm, and I'm sorry for that. Then one day I heard about CJ. My wife came home from a little public school that she was teaching in, a little three-teacher public school in Montana, uh, with a story that goes like this. She was working with first graders one day and one of the students raised their hands as first graders do. I do not know how people can teach first graders. Bless your heart. If you're a first grade teacher or kindergartner, I just don't know how you do it. I don't know. You know what happens. You know what happens. You, start, you get out the little math books or the little reader or the little phonics thing and pretty soon a hand goes up, teacher, teacher. You know what happened to my dog last night? Okay. I have a dog too, you know. And you're like, oh, I want to get on with this, you know, and everything. And teacher, teacher, my mommy and daddy were fighting last night. You go like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know how they get anything done. But there she was. Hand after hand went up, 
and they, they, they said, I really like so-and-so, I really like so-and-so, I really like so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, they talked about who they liked or who their best friend was. And then CJ's hand went up. Teacher, teacher. Yes, CJ, I really like Jesus. Wow, he felt comfortable talking about Jesus because the year before he had been in our kindergarten and had learned that Jesus was his best friend. He wasn't embarrassed. His young mind couldn't comprehend that Jesus wasn't part of every school. Ouch. He was able to stand when the wind blew. And I'm telling you that even today, I still fight with habits that I learned in school. They don't go away. And I felt sorry for myself. And then I met Teresa. She was only 12. She wasn't an innocent girl. There are words to a song that describe her well. It goes like this. During the day, she looked with eyes wide open like a kid in a candy shop at the city where she walked the streets at night. She was not alone because we know in, 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 in a lot of our public school system across this United States, one in ten students have had a sexual relationship by the time they're in the sixth grade. Further, nearly one in four in elementary school are victims of crime. Well, the counselors at summer camp groaned that Sunday morning when they found out that she was staying, I was one of them, at camp a second week. She was mean. She lied. She stole. She got into physical fights, not just with other kids, with adults, anybody. It didn't matter. She was tough. She was street smart. The sad part is she stayed because her parents didn't want her to come home. Oh, what must that be like to be 12 years old and not have your parents say, no, we don't want her. Ouch. After the second week, she left camp. She had met Jesus. She had changed for a while. But it wasn't long because... There was no church like this to lift her up until she was back into her life of crime. She escaped from juvenile detention and hitchhiked 300 miles to my mother's doorstep. Ooh, she thought juvie was bad. And I called the officer and said, this is what the juvenile detention officer said to me. Oh, we can't handle her right now. Will you keep her for a week? What? When she was 15, she was living with a 35-year-old man. And together with two other friends, she stole a truck in Portland, Oregon, and drove to Florida, robbing and cheating people along the way and all the way back. When they arrived back in Portland, the police were ready and surrounded them. They wrecked in a crowded intersection. And just like you see on those cop shows, you know what they did. They bailed. They ran. I don't know how. 
They caught everybody except Teresa. She somehow melted into the crowd and escaped. And then one day, one day in a quiet time, she remembered the lessons that she learned. And she confessed her emptiness and her tiredness of fighting God. And a friend helped her to get into an academy. And there, listen to this, and there she met God again for the first time. Huh? There she found comfort and acceptance and meaning for her life. And there her life was changed forever. I'm not sure where she is now. One day, if I'm saying this, I fully expect her to walk forward and say, that's some time ago. <laughs> but the last thing I knew, she was a solid Christian young woman helping others to be grounded when the wind blows. Amen. That's what I want for my grandchild. I want them to be in a place where they can be touched by Jesus. A place where the teacher loves them as a child of God. I want them to be where a teacher can pray with them and reinforce what my daughter and son-in-law are teaching at home and what they are learning in church. A place where they can make lifelong friends who help them in their spiritual journey. I want my grandchild to experience critical transformation through the inspired efforts of their teachers. I want them to experience morning worships, earnest prayers, and community service projects, and mission adventures, and in so many little ways each day, to find God on their journey to excellence. I want them to be firmly grounded on the solid rock Hello, when the wind I'm Dick blows. Dirksen, and I want to talk about our children. And it's possible. As part of my job as storyteller for Maranatha Volunteers it's International, possible. I travel Listen. to four continents where Maranatha is busily building or improving campuses of Seventh-day Adventist schools. The United States, India, Ecuador, Mozambique right now. At each school, I meet incredibly gifted teachers, expectant parents, and successful students, many of whom are now sending their own children to the new school we're building. Wherever there's a Seventh-day Adventist school around the world, the church grows and the economic status of the families improves. And our students, they become leaders in their communities. However, when I come home and share those success stories with friends in the United States, I often see frowns and hear this question. Well, that may be true in the rest of the world, Dick, but here in North America, aren't our children better off in the public schools? Folks give me four reasons for that belief. Number one, public schools are bigger. Number two, Public schools are better academically. Number three, they're cheaper. And number four, aren't they more respected than Seventh-day Adventist schools? Those are reasons many of us have heard and used for years. To find out the facts, La Sierra University, my alma mater, with the cooperation of the North American Division Office of Education, is leading a research project that is studying 35,000 students who attend Seventh-day Adventist schools in the United States Canada, and Bermuda. 35,000. Those are kids in grades 3 through 9 and grade 11. It's one of the largest research studies on Adventist education and the first large-scale study ever done to measure the academic effectiveness of Adventist schools. The study is called Cognitive Genesis. It's already in its second year. There are two purposes to that study. Number one, to determine how students in Adventist schools are doing academically 
when compared against national norms. Number two, to find out what factors could be related to their achievement levels. Now, in order to find out how students in Adventist schools are doing, we wanted to compare our students to national norms. Now, this includes students in public schools, private schools, and parochial schools, and all of that on nationally recognized achievement tests. That way, we can determine whether students in Adventist schools score higher or lower than the national norm or national average on those standard achievement tests. Now, as you may know, I'm a photographer and a storyteller, not an expert in academic research. But here's where I get to introduce you to a team of experts, researchers from both La Sierra and Andrews Universities who are doing specific analysis of our students' achievement. That study is called Cognitive Genesis. They're treating the data confidentially, adhering to strict ethical standards, and in addition to comparing our kids' achievement against the national norm, the team is also studying a hundred other questions you would be asking. How achievement relates to 